Good morning, Eclecticasters. How's it going? Today is June 7th, 6-7-2020. Can you fucking believe it? Six months or half the year has already gone by. Half the year. And it's been absolute madness since day one. So, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we have another cool episode today. I have another guest, another really, really great friend of mine, Mr. John Chavez. And, um, yeah, John's a really interesting character. I've known him for a long time. I met him, you know, in the bar scenes, local bar scene here in Huntington Beach and through friends and stuff. And he's always been a helpful person and he's always uh, very understanding and very articulate and a smart person. So I can't wait to chat it up with him. I haven't talked to him in a little bit. Um, yeah, just another great conversation with a good friend of mine and just, uh, showcasing what it is to have conversations of intellectual basis. So strap on in for another great conversation. Let's get into it. Before we go into today's episode, I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, the world and everything that's going on. Um, Very interesting, like, uh, you know, from all the videos I saw of the New York City protests in the last week, most of the bicycle cops and most of the cops that weren't deployed to use tear gas weren't wearing masks, you know, so... Then there was this report that got released, I think, by the the New York Times or one of the big uh, major publications out there, and it was saying that amidst the rioting and the protesting, um, that there was the first day where there were zero reported deaths of COVID-19 or coronavirus, you know? So, like, (laughs) everyone's out in the streets, shoulder to shoulder, cops not wearing masks, not obeying the laws of the quarantines and the shelterings and places that happened for three months. And you're also going to report at the same time that we have our first day where zero reported cases of coronavirus. So like the curve was flattened for at least a day in New York, uh, based off of that post, if there's any legitimacy to it. So that was something interesting I saw this week. Um, other than that, I mean, the... (laughs) The Buffalo, you know, PD, Buffalo, New York P- Police Department officer who uh, pushed out, or, I mean, people were kind of skeptical on whether he, the guy pushed him, but they advanced on a group of people, and an old man was standing there, and he started backing up, and by some form of whether he was intentionally shoved, or he fell backwards while trying to not be, you know, <laughs> ran down by this police line. Uh, you, you can see in the video, he falls, he hits his head, cracks it open, and then he was rushed to the hospital in serious condition, right? And then they suspended the cop, or the two cops, or whatever, that were seen on the video kind of inciting this. And then, I don't know, a, a, a huge group of cops started resigning from that police department, and then, yeah, it, after a long battle and a couple, what, a day or so of that shit being out, um, they were given felony charges for that. So, violence is happening, but at least there's some kind of justice coming from it. And some kind of learning, right? (laughs) 
just want to give a quick shout out to all my musician friends, local artists who are just killing killing it right now. Uh, Henry James, you can find him on Instagram as Henry James or King Tree and the Earth Mothers. He just released his album on Spotify under that name, self-titled, self-debut album, King Tree and the Earth Mothers, and uh, they're a phenomenal rock trio, and if you guys are at all fascinated by anything that is counterculture and music, I think you'll find that if you have great taste, you will love, love, love this band and this album, so go look up the King Tree and the Earth Mothers album and dig into it. Hello, John, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Awesome, dude. Uh, Sorry about the confusion with that. Oh, that's perfectly fine. It happens. Technical issue. Still getting used to... uh, I think I've had three guests on so far, and uh, the first one was in person with me, so I'm still getting used to the call feature. I understand. How you been, dude? I haven't seen you since my dog. Try to figure out my dog situation. Um, I we we've been fine. Uh, Gail and I are have been working remote. Um, as I think you know, she's a speech pathologist, so she's been seeing students from home. It's been a bit of a struggle. Um, I don't know how much you know about uh, distance learning or about better or whatnot. But there's I don't know very much. Uh, can you give me like a brief rundown? Yeah. So, a special education which, by the way, the U.S. has done, I think, a fairly good job at trying to integrate kids who, who have special needs. And so they, over the years, or actually for the last 40 or 50 years, they've really created a lot of legislation to try to help out these kids. Right. So California in general has actually provided a lot of monies to schools so that these kids can get help. So this is kind of where Gail comes in. So Gail's job is to help kids who are either nonverbal, um, have struggles with speech impediments and things like that, um, really learn how to maximize their ability to communicate at whatever level they have. Uh, myself, the way I'm involved in my specialization is distance learning. So hmm. kind of had this opportunity or having to help them try to create learning that helps work for them. Now that we're all kind of, you know, isolated. Right. Interesting. Uh, so what's the struggle in, and I guess, because of like the, the video interface or? Believe it or not, it, it's actually more than that. So number one, most people, believe it or not, don't know this, but 80% of our communication is actually nonverbal. So yeah, body language and stuff like that. Right. You got it. You got it. And a lot of people don't recognize that, for example, let's say I was to tell you I hate you, right? But my hands are behind my back. That doesn't really impart to you how much... Well, it's not threatening. Behind the back is not threatening. Right. But then if I say I hate you and my hands are moving and doing all these other interactions, you're going to get more from that than the term I hate you, correct? Of course. I'll I'll feel more fear from your actions than what you're saying. Right. So believe it or not, it's no different when you're trying to teach kids, you know, from a difference perspective. They can't. They might be able to see you, but that that interaction, that that connection that is that is required of having with another person, 
a lot of the, huh. a lot of the tools that we use that you need to be able to be able to touch someone or use that tactile uh, connection. Yeah. Um, Almost like that nonverbal, like like the NLP, right? Like like sudden touches to kind of tell people like where you're at. Right. So th- so so then you have a child that the only way you can communicate with them is by you having some kind of a symbol where you have to touch them or whatnot, and you can't. So how do you do that? Um, but there's other elements here, and and, and you kind of mentioned that yourself when we first started as a podcast. Um, we have people that are in different social economical situations. Some of them, sure. some of them can't afford um, the ability to go online. Um, some of them have language issues. Um, you have people who, who, for example, has families who aren't very uh, comfortable with technology, comfortable with administration. And so they kind of get left behind because they don't know about all these opportunities and about these um, things that are there to help them. It, it's really been all of us, including you, every single human being in this world, trying to navigate a world in that where distance is the new norm. When right. when it goes against the basic biology of humanity, which we are so creatures, we need one another. So I, my, my thing was with the masks, you know, masks were hard to get used to, but the thing was that I couldn't see people's smiles and facial expressions. It just covered so much of the face that it it made human interaction like weird to me. Right, 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 right. And, and so people don't realize how important that is. Being able to see, so important. Being able to see that other person's face, being able to see um, how they're reacting to what you're saying, everything from how they stand to how they look at you, to how their, their their lips move, all of these tells are if are are really us communicating. But again, most people don't recognize sure. that there's a lot of those elements in it, and and this and this kind of new world has removed a lot of that for us. Interesting. I mean, as a comedian, I always those are the things that I always look for, right? As like when I'm on stage and I'm performing, when I look out into the crowd and I'm making connections with people, like eye contact, certain stuff like that. I, I'm one thinking, yeah, my body language and kind of how I'm carrying myself on stage is kind of what's mostly alluring them to keep eye contact, right? Or to keep their presence on me. Right. But the second thing is just like, I'm looking to see, I'm looking for the people who are really listening to what I'm saying. Cause if I can get them who are paying attention off, then the people around them will get off kind of too. So I'm looking for the people that are like smiling, that they have like kind of a squint in their eyes because of just how much their facial features are like overwhelmed. They, uh, you know, like there's these subtle cues that someone's like really into what you're doing. And that's where I feel like a lot of good interactions come from is because you know, like your social cue is this person's into it, I'm into it too, let's engage. But when you don't know that from the other person because of a mask or because yeah, we don't see these, you know, cues because we're on phone calls all days, it, it, it is kind of takes away from the element of being a human and knowing kind of how to play the cards back, right? Like, you know, you're, you're dealt a hand and it's like, you don't know how to play the game anymore because everyone's playing on different rules. Right. You know, it's funny. You, you actually hit on something really big as a comedian. So you know how Netflix has all these specials, you know, by Joy Coy and, and Felipe Spars and all these things, right? And, sure. and so believe it or not, I hate watching them. I am not entertained. Terrible. Because even though even though they're they're funny and they're hilarious and whatever, I'm not connected to the comedian. I see 
Well, the material is good, right? The material is like fucking solid, but you're not there with those people laughing, so it's not like the same energy as you actually laugh. Exactly. So, like for example, Felipe Sparza is one of my favorite comedians. I've seen him live two or three times. I have the best time. I see his comedy special on TV, and sure, I laugh, but am I engaged? Do, do I do I want to? Am I am I feeding in my energy? Am I making him want to continue on stage? Am I making him feel valued? Am I making him feel like he's funny? No, he has no. Idea it's already over. He can't feel it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for all for I mean, in fact, for all your audience knows right now, I could be jacking off while we're talking. They don't know. But but it would be very impressive if you were well, doing that. I'm just gonna throw that. There. Be super but, but, if you could maintain the level of conversation that you have and also be able to masturbate. Right. Some Lewis shit. <laughs> but, but, but think about that for a second. It, 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 it goes back to the connectivity factor. That without... You gotta have it. You gotta right. have it. Um, and, and unfortunately for my industry and, and, and actually your industry, for, for a lot of our industries, um, face-to-face is, is important. Um, I mean, think of sales. Sales is like mostly, you know... <laughs> They're really trying to get you to buy something that you know that you have no value for, but it's their way of persuading you into it. And that's a very physical thing. Like I cannot be sold over the phone because I could easily just hang up the phone right. call. Right. Right. <laughs> and actually, you know, you, you hit on a big thing. So I used to sell when I was when I was when I was younger, actually when I was about your age, I used to sell air purifiers. And, oh, and air purifiers <laughs> are like the worst investment on earth. They're they're garbage. They really are. So huh. what what I had, what I had to tell people when they would ask me, like, how would you sell these air purifiers? Is I wasn't selling the air purifiers. I was selling me. Well, what are you right. talking about? So you have this person walk in, and they have an issue that they're trying to resolve. Their air is messed up, so they want to fix it. But in them coming in and seeing this air purifier that does all these things. Is that necessarily is that necessarily going to make them buy it? No. So, well, they don't know what's right. At. Right. So then, when they came, right. So, good point. So then, I come along, and I make them feel super comfortable. Hey, guess what? I, I know why you're here. There's an issue, and I want to make sure that we solve that issue. So tell me your need, right? So, I'm telling them all these wonderful things about the air purifier, but the reason they're buying it. Is it because of all these wonderful things that air purifier does? Is because of what I'm telling them. I'm I'm making them feel safe. I'm making them feel listened to. I'm making them feel engaged. I'm making them feel valued. So they're buying they're buying it from me because they trust me because they like me. If they don't take it, it's not because they didn't need it. They obviously walked in there with the need of, of having of needing to have one, but. I didn't build enough trust in, in them for the product or for myself for them to say, you know what, this is a good investment. It's the same thing with you. 100%. It's the same thing with you. When you're up on stage and 100%. you're engaging with these people about your jokes, your jokes could be garbage. And I've been in situations where I've seen, where I've seen garbage comedians, but you still laugh because of their delivery. You still, you, you've seen me big too. Like not even, you know, garbage comedians, but like, you know, people just not have a good set right. kind of shit. But what you're saying is 100%, dude. I can't talk about me being circumcised when I was eight unless I've built up some kind of like trust and rapport with the crowd in the first minute and a half to the point where they really right. like me. 
Because if they don't really like me when I go into that shit, I'm just, it's like walking in a minefield. You know, like one wrong word or one wrong gesture or one kind of, you know, shitty little anecdote that wasn't written but kind of impromptu, it'll just turn them away and then I'm just digging a hole, digging myself out of a hole the rest of the set because I didn't sell them on me up top. So now me just is not going to work at all because no matter what I got, you know, it doesn't matter. Like they, they've decided, I don't like this guy. I don't like his soul. I don't like his thoughts. Like the medium and the message are the same in the sense of like language and communication. And and I like that you said that because I I remember when you first started out and one of the things that that impressed me about your most recent set was that you transitioned from, from jokes to telling stories that had jokes in them. For example, the favorite, my favorite story that you tell is about your gay experience because because yeah. not yeah. only is it true, but you you disarm like the negativity behind it. Where a lot of people would be like, oh, this dude, you know, sucked off this guy and took it in the ass and did all this shit. I, I mean, I really don't know what happened, but you make it, you, you disarm the whole thing. You make people see the real you. You make people see how you felt. And at the same time, it's so nonchalant that people walk, walk away laughing because it's like, ha 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 yeah right this dude really didn't do this and do that ha 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 he's just being funny but reality that's a thing yeah they come up and they go hey is that any of that really true and yeah. i'm like yeah dude. but but that's when you re- that's when people stop and say oh shit wow bro like you caught me man like i was i was i was there with you man and the well, I'll tell you this about that story specifically is I chose that one because all the material that I choose to talk about, I could talk about anything in the world, but I choose to talk about what I have personal experience in because no one else has gone through that. No one else has that story. That's kind of what makes me have like this kind of corner of the market where I have a very unique outlook on life and I've done a lot of shit in the past that were mistakes, but now are great teachers, great lessons, not only for myself, but I can tell other people the shitty shit I did. And maybe they can learn from it too. But with that story, I think it's very important because you see a couple things. Guys are always like, oh, that's fucking gay, bro. So like there's this kind of weird subconscious like knee jerk to not have any kind of feminine or, you know, non-macho kind of sensibilities, which I think is a bullshit stigma, right? I mean, a lot of guys like wish they could be nice guys, but they believe that they have to be assholes for some reason which is weird. And then the second thing is I also want to appeal to women in that and say like, Hey, like as a guy, I went through that too. And I can say like, that fucking sucks, you know, to be in a situation where you feel so pressured, you know, in a situation to do something that, you know, you're like, ah, at first I thought it would be cool, but now it's getting into a point where like, I don't want to do this. And this guy's kind of fucking forcing me to do this kind of shit. So it reaches on two levels of, I want to show guys that it's okay to be, open and vulnerable and honest about your own sexuality and that you might as well experiment with it and figure out what you really really fucking like then stand around and be like i don't know dude that shit seems gay but not even know what gay really means to you right so that's one thing and then the second thing is like hey women like i fucking feel for you you know when a guy just whips out his dick and it's erect and it's just staring at you you know it's longing for your touch like holy shit that's aggressive you know like i'm on i'm on your side women you know like i, I get it ladies now i fucking get it so in that fucking five minute story i've 
gotten both, I've knocked off a lot of things. Like one, I'm taking off my armor and deciding to put my soul on a platter and hoping you'll meet me in the middle. Two, I'm getting to talk about a controversial issue in a positive light. Three, I'm appealing to both men and women, not singling anybody else out. And I'm trying to communicate that, hey, it's okay to talk about these things in front of a large group of people. Just know what the fuck you're talking about and stand by your fucking shit. I think that's in, in five minutes, if I can show that to people, and this is what's not talked about comedy is like, these are, you know, it took me a year and a half to work out that joke for five minutes of it to work and be what I wanted it to be. So there is a selling and there is a fucking lot of failure that comes in uh, trying to get it right down to like the mannerisms. To I, I watch videos of myself over and over to see how my hand gestures come off, how I'm smiling in a certain phrase or whatever. And these are like the little tweaks that just sell them even more, even though the story's the same. <laughs> and, 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 it, and, it, and yeah, dude, because the thing is, I've heard that story at least four or five times. Uh, actually, the first time I heard it, it wasn't even from you. But, but, That's the, great. but the fact of the matter is, it's you you have improved upon it. It's the same exact story you've told every single time. It's the way you stand, yeah. the, your 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 voice and, and everything. Um, but you did right. The pause, right? But, yeah, but I want to hit on something that you said uh, a second ago that, that's super important about about sexuality and us as, as men. So I made a comment before that. Gay men are the most liberated men on earth, but they don't realize it. And that's like, well, what do you mean? So how many of us secretly were pink or teal or lavender? How many salmon? How many of us as guys like sit there and say, like, I really wonder what it's like to be pegged. I really wonder what it's like to be whatever. But but of course, then like you said, the first thing out of their mouths, fuck dude, that's gay. Well, let's, let's let's first stop back. Let's stop for a second. First of all, yes, it it, it 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 is gay when you think about it because it makes you happy. That's what the word means. Gay means means happy. Being yeah, being pegged makes you gay because it's gonna make you happy, bro. So that's okay. Who at what point who decided that being pegged makes you gay? Think about that for a second. Also, I want I want to add in on this. Like, okay, so another thing that I think is super important to address here is that. Um, if a girl and you are engaged in a sexual act and that involves a toy being in your butthole and she's still like jerking you off while she's inside of you, dude, that's still pretty hetero to me because there's no other male, you know, what makes it homosexuality is two males having sex with each other. So if you're calling it gay, that's what I'm trying to say is you don't know what you're talking about because you're using something that is now being coined as a negative phrase, but there's nothing wrong with being gay happy, homosexual, whatever way you want to imply the word. There's nothing wrong with it. And for you to be like, oh, well, that's you did that. You opened up your mind and had a liberating experience. That's fucking homosexual. That's gay of you. And it's like what they're they're using it in a way to knock you down. But they're using something that's no longer knocked downable <laughs> as their argument still. And it's like an old cultural thing that hasn't phased out no, of the cycle. And, and, and that's unfortunate. And, and this goes back to like why I'm trying to do the joke and show them like, hey, go yeah. the fuck up. Yeah, and, and see, <laughs> and, and I wish a lot of people would, would stand back and, and, and ask themselves, like, why would a comedian share something so so personal to them? Um, is it because they, they have issues they're trying to work out or anything like that? Well, it could be, but maybe it's because they're trying to open up 
and share with you some of the things that they've, they've dealt with in hopes that you can build that commonality and bond with them and, and see that whatever might have happened to you or whatever experience you might have had that, that was negative maybe had a positive to it. See, the thing is, and, and, and this is one thing I respect a lot, Raph. Imagine the stories people imagine the stories right. people aren't telling and they're keeping locked away in their vault that are so priceless, valuable at the same time, and are hilarious. And there's no more hurt because right. that was seven years ago. Fucking there's no way for you to be so emotionally attached to it that when you talk about it you cry. So yeah, dude, when I talked about when I was twenty-one at a bar for the first time in my life and some dude hit on me and I went back to that dude's house because in the back of my head I heard this funny voice that said you don't know until you try it. Like that's a great life lesson. Like that's an adventure of some sort. And I, I think that what people need to address is man, when the call to action when that door presents itself, man, just walk through the door. And if you don't like it, you can always walk out of that fucking door. I don't understand why people feel like, oh, well now I'm trapped in this closet. No, dude, <laughs> what, you know? So like, why not talk about it? Why not experience life to the fullest and figure out what it actually is? And what I got to in that joke after telling it for a year, and this is what it, I became so proud of is the point where I'm talking about like the most tense moment of the joke where I'm like, yeah, this guy whips out his dick and I just pushed him off for making out with me. I felt like it was wrong, so I didn't want to continue. And he goes, come on, man, like we're here, just, you know, like live a little. <clears throat> and then I, I got to the point where I, in the joke, I stop right there, I let it, like, I give a big pause and I go, look, this situation made me realize a few things. Like one, gay is not a choice because no matter how bad I wanted to please this guy in that moment, I just couldn't get myself to do it, right? So whatever you tell your people like, oh, that's a fucking choice or whatever, like that's bullshit. Two, you know, <laughs> you can be too gullible and too open-minded. And three, dick is delicious, like holy shit, you know? <laughs> like, And that's like the, let me get the message across. Let me, you know, then make it a little bit more personal and individual and not just on the major topic. And then let me finish it off with a joke that you didn't see coming about me putting my mouth on this guy's right. penis, right? Which never happened. And like that's the imagination part where then I can relieve the tension that I built up talking about the actual thing. But I bet you at any point, man, if anyone who saw that set at one point when they're driving home, maybe they have a conversation about it. You know, when I talk about circumcision, maybe they go home and like they're pregnant or like want to have a kid and they talk about it and maybe they don't circumcise that kid because they don't want it to be a fucking lonely, sad, hungry comedian one day fighting for people's attention. But, <laughs> you know, so like maybe these things by me talking about it and they paid 20 bucks on some random night and I go up there and I'm not anybody in the world. So like, you know, like it's not like I'm Bill Burr and if I like fucking say something wrong, they're going to condemn me online for the rest of my life. It's like I have no risk and no real fall because I'm nowhere really. So I get to talk about these really opening and controversial shit to really see how it goes. And the people that I talk to after shows, like we have really great conversations and open up <clears throat> each other's minds to new things that I didn't realize as the comedian talking about the joke and as a person who went through a similar thing and then they contribute a little bit of like their life with me and that's what I mean like community and communication and sharing with others and strangers even is like the best thing it's so liberating because you don't even have to give them their fucking name you could be making it up for all you know but to you if the, you can sell it that story is so real <laughs> It's so powerful. The realization and the epiphany through laughter is is way more than just like reading a great book because the laughing is a reaction to something that's fundamentally true at your core. 
and someone just found a way to talk about it in a way that you don't have the courage to do it. That's why people pay you to be. You know, you, know, you, just, you just made me think about something. <laughs> like every every single, and this is gonna sound weird, but like your story, your story. I like it. Your story, tell. And yeah, and I'll be honest, dude. Every yep. every single one of us should be a comedian. Every single one of us should be forced to yeah, write absolutely. a story of our lives. All of us. Not right. should, but could right. be. You could be. And you could go to an open mic and sign up and do five minutes and tell just that one story. And maybe you just get a couple laughs, but you did it once and you figured out how to be vulnerable with yourself, honest with yourself, or honest with strangers. And you know it's what? Crazy and that's, and beautiful. It's, it's funny that you say that. I don't think a, that, that what you said, we have to be taught how to do. You have to be taught how to be weak. You have to be taught how to be vulnerable. Because as you said, in a, in a male society, in a male toxic society, we're taught you can't wear pink, you can't wear, you can't cry, you can't wear, you can't, you can't. So you have to deprogram yourself from from all that misogynistic machismo bullshit because that's all it is. It, machismo yeah, yeah. Sure. People culture, wonder like bullshit, you know, why, why are we as men, as men, you know, why do we have higher suicide rates? Why do we ha suffer from so much depression? Why do we suffer from this, that, and the other? And it, it's you know why. Because simply put, we're all taught that whatever we feel, whatever bothers us, whatever we feel that is is unnatural in the world, keep it bottled up and and and, and choke. We on can't it. feel it. How does that make yeah. me? Yeah, you're, men don't cry. Yeah, men we don't, don't, we don't fucking, hurt. Yeah, nothing hurts us. <laughs> nothing bothers us. Um, the last real time that I talked to my grandfather, he was telling me I wasn't a man because I had, you know, like I had lost my job and I was in between jobs and I couldn't find a job. And one night I was just having a really stressful night and I broke down in the living room and I started crying and he goes, oh, shut the fuck up. Like, you're not even a real man. Like, stop crying and like all this shit. And I was like, dude, that's some archaic old shit that needs to die. Like that shit has no place in the society anymore. You guys invented participation trophies and gave it to everyone. And now you want us to not fucking you know feel what? special. Go fuck. Yourself. You know what? And we, <laughs> I didn't ask for that. When you, when, you, when you go back to the beginning of the time. Yeah, that shit was necessary then, you know, because we, we were living in an environment where we had, you know, spiral the fittest. But we're in an evolved society now. We're, we're, we're a modern society. Why is, why is everything still predicated on survival of the fittest? That makes no fucking sense. Like, okay. Like, I didn't want... Well, I think that's the situation we are right now in, in this country and on this globe is like white authoritarian type figures like I deserve to be in power and I was born into, you know, the position and like this whole culture class race war shit that's going on i feel like that's the remnants of that yeah. thing trying to preserve itself into these new systems but it does not work it's impossible yeah. these things no longer fit and to expect people to be perfect when we know that they're not especially in these areas after 200 300 years of seeing it not work and, we need to let and, that shit fucking die and, and this let is where go. a lot of people this go. is where i've been really upset with with the protesters from this perspective Everything we're doing has been reactive, not proactive. It, it, a, long, a long time ago, 20, 30, 50, 60, 100 years ago, all of us as humans should have sat down and said, listen, this whole survival of the fittest shit doesn't work. We can't sit here and say that we're here for one another, regardless of color. It's not that survival of the fittest doesn't work. It's people are looking at it the wrong way. It's not, and this is what Darwin said, it's not the fastest, it's not the smartest, it's not the right. strongest, it's the most adaptable to change. 
And the fact that we're not letting go of that old bullshit is not adapting to change. And that's why we're putting ourselves up for extinction because we're trying to preserve shit that no longer works for the mass group hive mind, the collective. I mean, we have the internet. The entire planet is connected now. Everyone, I can talk to somebody across the world if I fucking wanted to right this second. So that changes the game. And we're no longer these independent, like, oh, it'll take a week for us to get word back from Britain about our independence kind of shit. Like, it's immediate. It's instant. So, yeah, natural selection is in full swing. And right now what we're seeing is, like, people trying to dismantle the system. But what they're trying to dismantle is the system that came from them their psyche like we created this system it's not this evil thing that was planted here it's, it didn't manifest and i really don't want to go into politics on this episode because i've just i spent the last one but i did tell i was with i was on the phone with cody yesterday and we were kind of talking about this shit and it it's like it's so hard to live in an age man where every conversation or any kind of disagreement right. or discourse leads to personal attack it's so hard and that's why I think that showing that vulnerability and learning how to really be open and honest with yourself. And then I, I think also what I took from standup and from the last three years of standup, standup taught me how to critically think again, how to start at the base root of a thought and kind of build on top of that instead of the other way around. Like start from the bone and work your way out towards the meat instead of working from the meat to the bone. And that's a really interesting way that I, I, I didn't, I've never said that out of my mouth before or even thought it like I'm interested in, I just said that, but it, it's, it's so baffling to me because right now it just seems like everyone's just so lost in the meat and we can't find the bone. And then you have a small group of people who start from the bone out and they're like, what are you fucks doing? Uh, <laughs> what are you doing? There's no organization. There's no leadership here. It's just pure unorganized like these these protesters man have lost grip with grassroots community outreach and what it is to peacefully assemble and to enact the first amendment right and to have a effective organized thing man like in the 70s these vietnam protests were not random people just taking it to the streets and mad about shit with some signs like these were organized people with intention and with like viable plans of action and we're not seeing that with this protest and that's why they're going to make it impossible for the people who are capable of doing it to not be able to effectively do it once they get their ducks in a row which is it's hap it's going to happen but the effective thing about protesting is once shit goes down you got to let the world show its colors before you make a play and what happened is people made a play before the world showed its colors and now we're fucking getting hit over the head with it man like once they saw the force and the looting and the vandalism, like it made every reason for them to send in the military and all this fucking bullshit. Right. And that's what I was scared of. Is like, you don't fucking go protest, especially during COVID and shit. We don't know what the effects of like people being out close to each other is gonna have. This is a disease that's trying to find a way to preserve itself. And it hasn't had a lot of interaction with the middle age, you know, the younger crowd, the twenties to forties kind of people because of its you know not survivability but the more we give it that room to fucking breathe and to learn dude the more it's going to find a way of sticking around forever and in 1918 during the spanish flu 
the reason why there was a huge second wave is because people were protesting because it was the early signs of the Great Dust Bowl depression in the 30s. So like people were out of out of work, unemployed, very similar situation. So they were taken out to the streets and they were protesting about it. And it led to a huge spike in, you know, like the, the Spanish flu. So what I'm telling people is like what I was telling people during the shelter in place before all this rioting and all the George Floyd stuff was if you are mad, and you are upset about the current state of affairs and that you have to stay at home or that you can't go to work or whatever the fuck it is, call your representatives. Call the people that you appointed and elected to represent you for the state and federally and fucking make their lives hell until they fucking do what they promised you that they would do. And I was called a crazy person. I was told that everything's gonna be just fine. I need to chill the fuck out. And now, and I was like, dude, the, you guys don't understand the ramifications of allowing this to like, get worse and worse and just not caring right now because it's going to tiptoe into a worse spot and it's gonna be a harder battle to fight. And then boom, George Floyd happens. This guy's being profiled, no, no mask, no whatever. They fucking pull him over and then it's like this huge fucking deal and this guy gets murdered over it, which is terrible. But these people, out of their rage, and they became a mob. They were not a, uh, they were not a peaceful assembly. They, they're a mob of people. And I'm not condemning protesters. I'm thinking that if you're out there trying to stand up and trying to get clarification and fight for the injustice of other people in the world, whether you're white, person of color, it doesn't fucking matter. If you're out there protesting, that is a beautiful thing. And that's what makes this country fucking great. But if you you know if even if you're you see shit that gets broken or is being torn apart during these protests and you say nothing and you do nothing about that then you're just as bad as the people looting or vandalizing and it just becomes this where it dismantles freedom of speech it dismantles the first amendment right and it, it dismantles protesting as a valid and viable thing and it just brings martial, martial laws into communities and more, so many more people will suffer for the acts of a small minority of people and that's why like it's 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 just baffling that we're letting things get so personal that we can't even have discourse and true patriotic like what do we want what are our values and how can we demand this from the fucking tyrants and you know claim the shit that's naturally and indefinably ours so but i, I want to go back to the what well, we were talking about speech and, and stand-up and stuff i don't know i was actually gonna i was actually gonna say something but, um, that you just gave me uh Something that you, as comedians, have a lot of power in. Um, have you ever seen a a set where a comedian will walk out on stage? There's like a, maybe a, a chair or a table or something, and a drink. Yeah, first. Usually right. a stool. A right. stool. And, and then, and then they maybe sit a water down bottle and a mic stand and a mic. Now, the way I the way I see yeah. that interaction, right, is almost like a TED talk. Right. Yeah, like Mark Maron, he right. always sits when he does stand-up. And he goes up, he sits a lot of, in the thing, A lot of people talks. think about a comedian and they think about, okay, you're going to say a joke and you're going to be funny. True. But when I'm there, that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing you and me, we're going to have a meeting. There, there happens to be other people hmm. in the room, but we're having a meeting. And you're telling me your truth and I'm reacting to your truth. And the reason I want to hear your truth is... I want to know your story so that I can relate to you and so that we can both have laughs and so that we can both be angry and that we can both be sad so that at the end of this, we become friends. And if you think about your relationship and my relationship, that's exactly what this is predicated on. 
we're we're friends not necessarily because we have all these things in common we've shared all these experiences together it, it's because you and i have sat we've talked we shared ideas we shared food we shared a joint and we could be the most different people on earth but we're friends because we communicated that doesn't matter right yeah well the, the i prefer those people I don't want everyone to agree with me. That'd be a boring fucking existence, dude. That'd be so fucking boring. I like people that are rational enough to disagree and have solid arguments. My thing, when I get into a discourse with someone is, just have a better argument. If you have a better argument and you can debunk my argument, then hats off to you, dude. I'm gonna spend a considerable amount of time rethinking my position and re, like, you know, seeing what really, where do I stand with that shit? Trying to find a better argument than yours because it's not about being right it's about progressing it's about progressing the thought it's about progressing the concept or the ideal and moving forward instead of just staying in the right, same exactly. fucking thing that we know I, about I, I use this simple that's evolution everybody. Christopher Columbus and us having it as a day off when we were kids when we were kids we all celebrated Christopher Columbus and we had the day off and we talked about the Mina the, the, the Santa Maria and the Pina right What a weird thing right. that they make it a nice and like it's oh this is a great thing when we're we're kids and then we get to high school and he's like oh yeah he's a rapist and a murderer and he killed about ninety three percent of that people and no, no, okay. now right. everything Which that we have is point. basically founded off because of at one point <laughs> someone said let's really evaluate the story of Christopher Columbus and then we come back and we say wait hold on a second this dude this dude really did discover the Americas it was actually the Vikings um they were already people here and. Right, right. So they then, came here so like, then, ah, whatever, this what is the, cool, what, we're going to take off. Yeah. <laughs> but it goes back to your point. If we didn't do this, if we really didn't sit, sit, spend the time to sit there and talk about what he really did, we would have never evolved as a as a, as a species, as a people. Right, when, when there's no reason to. There's no reason yeah, to. Yeah, we'd still be celebrating um, his life. And, and so, Well, I want to quote this too, is that they always say right. like, you know, the winners write the history books, not the losers. So it's really, when you think about that, it's really interesting to look back and just like, all right, yeah. And it seems like the winners also make the curriculum for the state. Cause they're like, we're not going to let you know the atrocious shit until like you're older. Well, and what's funny you say that? Cause like I remember when I learned about the Mexican, uh, Mexican American <laughs> war, right? Where the, the U.S. basically got into a war because they, they had this yeah. agreement as to where the river splits. So not only did the U.S. kick Mexico's ass, but they also gave them money. But yeah. if you ask Mexico, they're like, um, that's not what happened. Basically, the U.S. decided they were going to be bullies, and they kicked our asses. And because they felt bad, they gave us money. We weren't dis- we were disputing anything. They just re- they just they didn't like what was going on, so they punched us. Plain and simple. But how would you know that unless you took the time to say, wait yeah. for a second? There's always two sides to a story. This story, this story, and then and then there's the truth somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And that's what I tell people all the time is like, hey man, if you were to go right now to the Middle East and interview someone on the street in like a dilapidated area and be like, hey, like, what do you think about America? I'm 100% certain that they're gonna say right. everything in the world that you would expect them not to say as an American citizen, right? So, like, as, as a person who lives here and never has to experience the war, never knows, but knows that we're over there fighting for democracy and shit or whatever they fucking spend on the news, 
then you go over there and you see like, oh yeah, well, and then the person's like, yeah, I lost my sister and my brother and my mom and my dad got locked away because they thought he was like a, you know, some way involved. So like he would just disappeared someday and, and now I don't have enough m money and I live in a refugee camp. And then you go, oh, I paid taxes for this. Like I've pretty much funded this, you know what I mean? And then how do you separate yourself then from like not feeling kind of responsible for supporting something and not saying anything about it and just allowing this atrocious way of life to happen and this domination of culture after a period of time over a period of time. And we've seen every great empire rise and fall and it never works never fucking seems to work you know one guy fucking controlling all of it eventually people get pissed off and you you get fucking you start slipping and you can't hold all the fucking pieces together anymore and so that's what i'm trying to say is like this it, this cyclical pattern that keeps repeating and amplifying itself every time is kind of like similar to the comedy comedy stuff right so like i have a bunch of stories in life and a bunch of experiences and most of the time it was from repeating the same mistakes in different areas of life because i never learned i never learned how to you know i never fucking fixed the root problem i just covered it up with the band-aid every time and hoped that it would just go away and I would run from town to town and house to house and I never fucking made it anywhere because not everyone else, like I always had been saying like, well, fuck them, they were being assholes. So that's why I left or I got fired, not because I deserve to be fired, but because they fucking don't understand me. It's, it's, there's so many ways to fucking deflect and not take responsibility for your bullshit. But when I started doing stand up and I went up in front of people, like people know when you're trying to sell them on something, right? So like the thing was, is like, how do I, how do I learn to authentically be myself and to think for myself again? And not like the voice in my head that's my mom or my teacher from grade school or the principal that bullied me in high school or that chick that used to call me fucking, used to tell me that I should do the jelly belly and shake my fucking man tits around for their pleasure. Like these are voices in my head that, things that are like lingering in there that are not my voice. It's not me. That's not me talking. That's not my thought. I don't like those thoughts usually I'm fighting them off and like that's kind of like the depression thing and I'll never forget when you told me outside Centerfield you're like hey man I just want to let you know that I understand why you you know try to make everyone laugh so hard and I was like why is that and you're like Cause you're the saddest one of us all <laughs> and it's so true but like with that it's a kind of like my superpower like you know like the Hulk like my you know like oh like what's your secret is like my, my secrets I'm always sad you know like I'm always sad and like to a level of like I can't explain it to people but when I experience joy dude I experience the exact like ultimate like just as much sadness as I feel like just as much like the overwhelming joy of things so like stand-up is like a personal victory in the sense of if I can take my past failures and things that really fucking hurt me for a long long time and now I can find a way to talk about it where people can understand it and entertain it for us, like just enough for me to get to the punchline. If I can make it funny enough, I can talk about these things. And in talking about it, I let go of those demons, man. I turn that darkness into light and I become like this like conduit, which it's like alchemy, mental alchemy, like turning water into gold. Like I take nothing and make it something of value. And in doing so, I'm no longer affected by the negative outcomes of that because I'm not letting it define me. I'm defining myself through it. And I think that that's what I'm trying to get to people. And that's what I really, really wish that I could get people to understand through me doing stand up. And like, I wish I could just come out and say it at the end, but that would take away from the performance. Um, 
but that's what I'm really trying to do. And I think that that's why communication is so important. Uh, critical thinking is so important. And just like you said, reclaiming yourself, like reclaiming your mind and your thoughts and how you feel instead of just regurgitating the generic bullshit you hear on the news or from everybody, like stuff that they didn't even investigate further into. They're just, oh, I, I trust this person. So I'm just going to re regurgitate what they say over and over to all my group of friends because whatever. Um, so there needs to have some kind of a dialogue opened in this country where we need to talk about how to have discourse again and how to talk to each other in disagreement to progress the, the thing instead of tear each other down and tear down the system and tear down these things because there was this awesome meme that said zero is a portal in between where zero is a portal where negative and positive numbers can go in and out. And I think if we were to take everything that we've built for 200 years, 300 years as a country and reduce it back down to zero, the the likelihood that something positive and better is going to come out of that it, it is, is so fucking it is. low. But you know what? So low. One That's of the so things scary. that I've been that I've been finding out lately is that, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it too, that it is possible through ugly to create beautiful, and of course, vice versa. And my and my right, and my hope right now with all these hard ugly conversations you gotta that have we're it. having, these hard ugly actions that we're seeing these hard, ugly decisions that are being made that we end up better for it. But in order for that to happen, at the end of the day, you, you said it yourself, there has to be huh. a foundation of communication where the positive and the negative are allowed, the, the contradictory and, and the logical are allowed. Um, otherwise, there's no growth because we all have perspectives. We all see things in a different way. For example, one of the biggest things I learned in my master's program, and I can't state the over, over importance of this, is we all see the world through a lens. So for example, uh, right. Yes, yeah, we are a lens of, yeah, we are, I think we right. are the lens of the universe experiencing itself in this world. We're just the full point in between and then the consciousness, that fuzzy feeling that we think is I on the inside of us is the observer. And this is like the physical plane right. that it's trying and, to and interact so with, but it needs the medium, all, right? It needs that, the that lens is predicated on your experiences, your everything you've seen and done. But here's the thing, that is limited because there's so many other experiences, stories, examples, for example, I remember we were taught about how there's a group of engineers together who were tasked with creating an engine that can, a single, a single tank of fuel can go, um, or a single gallon can go 70 some odd miles. Every single engineer said that is humanly impossible. Well, yeah, because they were looking at it from the lens of, of engineering through a gas That's what did it, yeah. But then... Not only that, he also made uh, his his Tesla has driven two billion miles on computer automation without any driver having control of the car, which is uh, no other person working in right. automated vehicles this is, in the entire world has come right. anywhere close to that amount of mileage. So I like people like him. They're showing us that there you can, can go beyond what lens. is conceivably known and if, do if, something and that, better with what we have do. here. Every every single thing we've said today, yeah, the, the 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 lesson is change your lens. Stop looking at things through rose colored lenses. Stop looking at things through black colored lenses. Stop looking at things through white colored lenses. 
and ask the person next to you, hey, can I borrow your lens so that I can see why you're seeing things the way that you do, why you're saying things the way that you are. That's why storytelling is so important, man, is because for if you can tell a story good enough, people will step outside of their shoes and step into the shoes of the character of the story, no matter if it's your story or someone else's. That's why we love movies, man. And we identify with movies so much. And, um, you know, that's I think storytelling is a huge and that goes back to Jesus. It goes back to the Greek mythology of, you know, like the 12 gods and their stories of how to define life and how to make sense of morality and how the sun rises and how it sets. And we have carried on these oral traditions. And I feel like nowadays what we remember are comedians, what we remember are song lyrics. It's not poetry anymore. It's not philosophers. It's musicians and it's art. It's the entertainments that it's what we hold on to, you know? So yeah, you're right. And a lot of degrees, like it's, it's communication is so vital. And I think that that's why comedians are kind of seen as the last uh, barringers of free speech or like, you know, kind of holding that institution down, uh, I think is because that they're willing and they're capable of stepping outside of themselves. And when they step up on that stage, they know that there's a bigger, right. Right. Like, there's in, a bigger in, in purpose fact, to what I we're doing like than just that, telling that dick you guys jokes. are like sort of like the last bastion for free speech because last time I saw Aries Spears, for instance, he was ma- he was making gay jokes, and he ended up, and someone got a little bit butthurt, and he and he made a comment about like, yeah. look, man, I love gay people, I don't hate gay people, none of that shit, but what y'all do is what y'all do is fucking strange, and because of that, that shit is funny, but it but but the thing is, is he wrong? No. Now, of course, as a gay person, you know, why yeah. is it what I'm doing weird, why, whatever? It's because it's different. But at the same time, he's just, he's just making. Well, you have to look at the person who's right. objecting what's being said, because often when they're objecting, it's something that's right. biased. If you, if it were really something atrocious, the whole crowd would turn on him instantly, right? Like a, a mass, like everyone understands that that was wrong. But when you have one asshole who yells out, who's maybe a little bit too drunk or whatever, or is having a bad day, and he just hears something that his mind just can't digest at all, then it becomes a, a more personal issue. And then you have one guy out of, you know, if you saw him at Brea, like one guy out of 700, 600 people ruining the show for 599 others because they were personally slighted by something that has nothing to do with them. Aries Spears has never met you. He's not talking about you. He doesn't know your group of friends. He's talking about something that is generalized based off of something that he's seen through observation from personal experience. And yeah, you got to be able to, it's an art form. And, and so what, I, what I tell people is like, look, man, I, I do comedy and I create music and I do podcasting and stuff because I want to take myself out of the, the, the mask that is Rafael de Camargo. And I want to step into this entity where I can operate within the temple of the timeless. There's no space and time when you're creating art. A joke can be funny for hundreds of years, or it could be funny only for a week. Music can be great for 50, 60 years, and we call it classic rock, or we call it Beethoven's classical ninth concerto, or whatever it is. We hold on to these things hey, because they are timeless. Well, it's like and it's funny because I know you've been watching Bean recently, people. and this actually, this actually is perfect to, to kind of the podcast here, which is Beats himself said, you can, you, can, you can kill me, but you cannot kill an idea, right? 
and, and, and that's what you are, dude. As you're a storyteller, giving An idea. people ideas, yeah. concepts, innovation in a way that it forces them to, and if they really want to feel, if they really want to laugh, if they really want to enjoy your content, they're going to have to step back and say, why is this funny? Or why does it relate to me? Or why is it important? Yeah. And that's why I created Lunacy Tribe. That's why I created this whole otter avatar that I'm doing is because like, when I, from now on, when I go up on a stage, I will be introduced as otter. And I want it to be this thing of like, look, man, don't take it so seriously. It's a, more of a sincere jest. You know, like there is truth and there is power to what I'm doing and there's right. intention, but I don't take it so seriously that I'm willing to let my day be ruined by a thought that I have, right? right. And you shouldn't either. And that's kind of the whole point of this is like, I'm going to poke at your nerve but I'm going to do it in a way with taste, you know what I mean? But also with a seed to plant in there once I'm done. Like, I'm not doing it for no reason. And and so, yeah, it, there, the, the whole, like, last bastion of free speech is like, I, I, don't think, I, I don't think there's anywhere else that you could go and you could pay 20 bucks to hear someone be filthy and to say the worst things that possibly someone could say. But because this guy's been doing it for 20 years and has built up an audience where people kind of, you know, a, appeal to that message or like whatever this guy's fucking slinging like bill burr man bill burr says some atrocious shit he always talks about fucking population control how we can get rid of like a bunch of people and he contemplates these ideas in theaters across the country fronts of thousands of people why can he say things like that because he spent the first fucking nine years of his career talking about his sexual failures and his fucking personal bullshit building up that rapport, being vulnerable, sharing everything that he had about who he was and being honest with himself and the crowd to the point where they're like, I like this fucking guy because he just dishes it how it is. Uh, and then, you know, at one point, like that's what I was hoping for is like, I'm three years in and I'm finally getting to the, the top of the iceberg of shit of my personal story. And I can put that into 20 minutes that is comedically, uh, it's comedically relevant to the time and age that we live in, but it's also super personal, very vulnerable, and it's a different perspective than most comedians that I hear on their takes of these subjects. And so that's my fun in it is like kind of taking these ideas and progressing them further and incorporating my own stories and my own experiences into it. But ultimately, like, I think it is super fucking important that we do not let freedom of speech go and the entertaining of ideas, whether it's intellectual, whether it's comical, whether it's sonically, whatever it is, like, we cannot let go of the fact that, like, it is sometimes really good to hear things that you don't fucking agree with because it makes you understand why your stance is where your stance is. I think without proper disagreement or hearing shit that kind of puts puts you over the edge a little bit um there's no growth there you're, you're living in this very comfortable you know little bubble and uh, i think that that's bullshit <laughs> and i will pop that bubble for you and i'm most people i yeah most people i've i've kind of been crucified by them for doing such things but like to me, it's worth being crucified for, and this is the only way that I could enact yeah, some I don't kind think of people recognize positive how, footprint how on this planet. The silence I think. can be the inability, the inability to communicate with someone. The inability. Oh, yeah. And especially in oh, right, scenarios, right. mass and, and mob see, that, scenarios, like, like when people are just silent because they don't know what to do. You know, these protests, Ooh, that's it's scary. like 
everyone is walking, you know, holding hands, saying the same shit. Right. But at the core, do they really know why they're doing it? Kumbaya, do they really love, know yeah. what they're expecting to change for what? I mean, when, and, and that's ultimately the problem. None of this shit is going to do anything unless the people in charge do something. But are these are these processes really forcing any of these people to change anything? No, no. Well, I'll say this: Are these people who are out there protesting because it's trending right now? Because the bars and the sports and all that shit's closed down right now? Uh, you know, because you've been locked in your fucking apartment for three months or your house for three months because of the quarantine and shelter in place and all that stuff. Are all those people, when the protesting is over and the people who, you know, we demand to be locked up and charged for their crimes are held accountable, when it comes time to vote, are those people still going to feel as passionate as they do out in the street right now? Are they going to go into that voting booth and fucking actually enact some change and put people in there? Are they going to take time out of their lives to go home after work, a hard day's work, and research? And look up who their local representatives are, who they fucking can believe, who they can trust. Are they going to take that time to actually become committed and involved in not only their community, but their state and their country to form a better republic and a better democracy and a system that works for the people? That's my real question is like you can protest all day all day long and you can believe in Black Lives Matter. You can believe in solving injustice in the world. But when it's not popular on instagram or facebook or on the news are you still going to feel just as fiery right. and as passionate about these right. topics and, 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 and at the end of the day what makes me sad about, about everything is that as i mentioned before everything's been reactive not proactive had we had we as a society spent our time literally what you said having those hard shitty talks yeah that we we are so taboo that we shouldn't be having because we're hurting people's feelings who gives a fuck? It's just your fucking feelings. You, we all have to get over it. So if we really just... Well, I, I wish I would have seen people getting together in like gymnasiums as a whole community and like arguing about it, but in a way where they're like trying to get to the point of like, look, we don't have a lot of time. We need to fucking figure out what we're going to do. And I'm sorry, dude, like if that was the scenario where we're all in these like each city, like, all right, we're going to get together at City Hall and we're all going to talk about this shit. Right. And the conclusion comes out 51 to 49 democratically. Like this is the action that the community thinks that we should take. Dude, that's the way to do it. Then you have the, the support of the community. So like no matter who marches into town, you guys who live there, who have the home field advantage, kind of like in the, the, the Revolutionary War, we had the home field advantage. We knew exactly how to do what they didn't know because they didn't know the region kind of shit. And that's an analogy. But what I'm saying is like, we know our communities. We know our cities, like the back of our hands. This is where we spend our lives. And so what I'm asking people is just like, okay, like, why, are, why aren't you so involved in that? What is taking you away from making a better place for everyone in your surroundings and for yourself? Because if we all start with our own communities in our own houses, the rest of the world will catch up. And it only starts from personal. Like we can never, <laughs> dude, we can never make, you know, like the Russians believe that communism is, is gonna be bad or socialism is bad. We're never gonna do that. But if enough people in the world can realize within themselves that they don't fucking feel communism is right, or even if they felt democracy wasn't right, if the majority was like, yeah, I don't think this is the right way to do it, but they weren't doing it out of anger. 
but as like a like a conversation like oh like yeah we've all come together and we made this consensus of like yeah we want to do things this way then yeah dude i'm willing to play ball but it doesn't seem like anyone's on the same page they all have their own personal interests and that's not a way to effectively yeah. organize anything or be a part of anything and, and, and that community and... go ahead dude. No, see again. It's sorry. It's, sorry, you're only ranting because you recognize. <laughs> I said sorry to rant. It's, it's no, one go of those ahead. things that we need to talk about it more, and it's frustrating that we're not. It, it, it's of course you're gonna rant when it's like, you know, like a handful of people who are willing to actually listen, um, do research, adapt, change, and grow. And when you care, and when you care and love about people, and again, as a comedian, as a storyteller, this this is your bread and butter. You love literally so it's gonna hurt you when you can't get people to sit down listen to a unified idea and try to make a unified change for the world as a whole people say this is people say this is us being political we're not being political bro this is not this is not politics this is being a human I'll tell you, trying to fix this dude, for the world over to open your mind for the, for the to open your world for the, for the sake of everyone else because at the end of the day we yeah, are social creatures one one another and the more you try to teach the basic biology of who we are it's never gonna get better plain and simple yeah I'll tell you this and this is what's terrifying me right now and this is a lot of people who are not in the community of comedians and the entertainers that I know like the music scene in like Costa Mesa, Huntington Beach, OC is disintegrating as we know it. And what's even worse is the comics, dude. The comics have all turned on each other. Because now with this whole polarization, like, dude, I've never seen comics bashing each other and arguing and dismantling each other in the way that I'm seeing them do it right now. And that's what's scary about saying that whole like last line of, you know, freedom of speech kind of shit is like when that community tears itself apart, like they've won, dude. When the, the most rational, free thinking, like critical thinking kind of people are can no longer critically think and understand what's happening to them in their minds and they take it out on one another. Like, ooh, that's fucking scary, dude. And I'm literally like hesitant to, I've barely seen any comedians and interacted with like I've very few comedians uh, I've seen during this whole quarantine for four months, five months, I've barely seen anyone or talked to anyone. It's a small handful of people, but yeah, the community itself is is experiencing a huge fucking shift and a toll. And I'm really concerned that if that's happening here, it's probably happening in every city. And um, I'm afraid that once, if things go back to like clubs opening and open mics and all that stuff, we're not gonna be finding open mics. We're gonna be finding like heated political <laughs> public forum kind of, you know, I, I, I can't even imagine what we're headed for once we give people a microphone and a fucking five minute gap of time to talk on a stage after all of this stuff. I mean, it, I, I'm afraid of fighting. I'm afraid of like it getting really out of hand and I'm already seeing it online virtually and I cannot imagine putting all these people in a room right now. And that's what terrifies me. And I'm sure like all the, the big names in comedy, you know, like all the, the the more established artists, I'm sure that community is fine and like they're probably super together with each other. But the small amateur up and coming, what I've known for the last three years, and, and you know why? Um, yeah, because that it's, shit it's is the small guys. It's the little guys dismantling with itself. new concepts, <laughs> with the new ideas, with, with those things that you want to be like, what the fuck are you saying? Like, I can't believe you said that. That's so controversial. That's why. 
that's why the little guys always suffer everyone with the new idea the new concept the, the way to try to make things better the one who brings true change i mean think about it it's like how many people are having these same type of conversations you and i having on a small scale who really who, when you think about it it's a large-scale conversation that we all need to have we all need to talk about this. It sucks. It's uncomfortable. It fucking like I don't want to talk about it. But then how do we fix it? Yeah. How do we fix it? I think that that's why I'm doing this podcast, man. Recording these conversations and showing people what it looks like, what it is, right? I think this is a way of like being the change you want to see having these conversations and like each conversation that I've had with people on this podcast and like we did today, man, like I did not send you a topic. There was no premeditated thing. I just pretty much said, I was like, I'm going to ask you some very basic questions, just kind of get the ball rolling. And I'm going to be like, you know, what do you want to talk about? And it just naturally kind of takes off. And here we are an hour and two minutes later. And what I'm saying is like, this is how it looks. Anyone listening up until this point, or if you want to enact some real change in your community, this is what it looks to open up a dialogue. And even if you don't agree, or even if you agree, but you're saying it in different ways, this is what it is to progress an ideal or a set of ideals and follow a thought pattern or a thought process to its full conclusion and trying to hit every fucking side road as you can. So I think that this is what we can do. And this is how we can show people that there is the possibility of change and growth. And if a kid like me who dropped out of high school as a junior, and you know has been serving tables and working in kitchens to make ways so that way i can you know sustain just enough of, a, of an existence so i can create art and be able to be out there doing what i love and what i feel like i was put here to do that to me is like that's it dude and and i think that by showing people that like you could doesn't matter who you are you could be on the the rock bottom or the tippy tops of the stratosphere of class and social structure it doesn't matter. It all starts with a few things. Why, how, when, and you just start going everything, just any kind of information that anyone throws at you. You have to question it. Don't accept it for what it is or just because you trust that person. And if something about it inside of you is going, mm, I don't know about that, fucking take out the black box in your fucking pocket that has the worldwide universal knowledge on it and look it up for yourself and determine how you feel about it. Not what the news said about it, not what the New York Times said about it, not what your friend Stacy on Instagram said about it, but how you feel about it. And then fucking talk to the people that you love and you care about and you think that it would be important for them to understand this idea or this new way of thinking that you have because if they care about you, they'll fucking entertain it, I promise. And that's how it starts. It starts in your home, it starts with your family, it starts with your friends, and then slowly it goes to their homes and their connected friends on the outside of your little group and then everyone's having more rational discussions people are trying to progress ideas and then maybe in the culmination of everyone trying to do that something good will surface like einstein created the thought, the law of relativity during quarantine there's been a lot of great instances where a pressure on society on human spirit on everything that we know and this the, the foundation block great things come out of this and i always tell people too is like after the plague and the dark times like came the renaissance so like if we ever do make it out of this even if it gets harsher and worse like i believe that there will be a period of like beauty and regrowth like there's always intervals it always swings back and forth good bad beautiful disastrous life death atom nuclei whatever way you want to break it down 
so I think that it starts with us. It starts with these conversations, and that's why I'm trying to, like, one a day. I just I wake up and I hit up somebody. I'm like, hey, do you want to have a conversation on my podcast? And then we just kind of get into the shit naturally. And I think that that's what I, I kind of want. I don't want to. I don't want people to follow me. I want to show people how to lead for themselves, how to think for themselves, how to be their own leader, and to be the leader for other people, and to do that for them. And yeah, me too. I'm just passing on what I've learned and what I've been. But I mean, I've been I've been fortunate because I mean, my mind has always been one of those where like, know that you know nothing, and because of that, I've constantly had to put myself in a position where question your thoughts, question your beliefs every single day. Um, because I don't want to be stagnant and it has nothing to do with survival for me it has more to do with I'm a human I live in a world with you know three billion other souls or however many people we currently have in this planet and it's not fair for me to judge persecute hurt anyone else just because they think water is clear and I think water is blue that's stupid Um, if anything because we both have those different ideas, it opens up the avenue of how about you and I together, we look at this thing called water and we figure out what color it really is and from there grow together. I love this saying that there's three sides of the truth. There's my truth, there's your truth, and then the actual fucking truth, right? So I think like right. you can think that it's blue and I can think that it's clear and devoid of color. And even if we don't agree on it, it doesn't change the actual truth of it but our perspectives on it have changed, right? So fundamentally, right. We, can, I mean, we can argue about, you know, the world and the revolution until the cows come home, man. Is it really gonna change much? No, but will we have been changed by the outcome of thinking in a different way? Yes. So it's like, I don't know how to justify. I don't think it needs justification. I just think that we've, det- like you said, we've just detached ourselves so far from all these simple ideals and i think that in the i don't agree that it's blue i think it's clear and the fact that dude at some point either of us through talking about it is going to reach a point where like it's very clear that it's blue or it's not blue you know like at one point you hit it on the head like there's no way like if you continue digging eventually you're gonna hit like some kind of fucking other layer and the further and further down you go, the more you fucking figure out for yourself. And that's something that no one can take away from you. Like, I, right. I, I'm uneducated. I have no degrees. I don't even have a high school diploma. But what I have in my mind and what I have in my soul and, like, what I've gathered through the books, the music, the movies, the experiences I've had, no one can strip that from me. No one can take that away. And it's like, the you know, like, yeah, you can kill the man, but the stories will live on forever. And anyone who I've come into contact, as long as they have some resemblance of that story and they choose to keep telling it, like my spirit will live on. So it doesn't matter. Like it really, like I'm not taking any of the physical shit that I have around me right now that is tangible with me. So I might as well live. <laughs> I might as well, as Kerouac said, no one's gonna remember the time that you spent in the office. Like go fucking climb that mountain, man. And I'm just trying to climb that mountain both within myself and without myself and trying to help anyone on that mountain get to the top or to the bottom or wherever they're trying to get with it you know along the way like that's i think what it is to be uh yeah human and and i love these conversations um dude did you write a book did i see that you're an author yes yeah i wrote a book i'm um, sorry what what was the book uh, i didn't know this about yeah i wrote a book it's called it's called decade of poetry uh, it's, on, it's on amazon believe it or not um i wrote it about back when i was 
shit, dude. This was about 11 years ago. Uh, no, like one years ago. Um, it's published, right? So you, you published a book and you're an author of a po- poetry book. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I don't know how I didn't know that about you, man. I want a signed copy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny because, like, uh, dude, I'll be honest. Um, it's one of those things where, like, have you ever have you ever done something in your life where it it felt very small and insignificant to you but it felt big to someone else that, yeah of course that book is kind of like that because I, I didn't huh. i didn't write it for myself I, I wrote it for someone else who i wanted this person to know what they meant to me and yeah really. i know that's like for sure and the, and the best thing that i could have done was was bring my concept of birth to life which i did in the book not not a love book it's not a, like a poetry book of like all oh, love poems it's just it's me bringing kind of like what you're doing with your podcast it's me bringing my feelings over the last 10 years to life and at the same time dedicating this book to someone who gave me the strongest feeling which which through her was you know finding out what it feels like to actually fall in love with someone not loving someone not saying i love you but saying I am to so feel love. To I, be love. Yeah, I am so much in love with you that when I look at you, I don't even see a, a, a physical, sexual being. I, I see this this pure entity of light because you look so brilliant to me. And it creates which the Taoist, the Taoist, uh, the Taoist, uh, you know, monks would say that that's like Wu Wei, where you're able to look at something without having to label it, and that's the purest form. Right. And and a lot of people, you know, they throw around the word love, love, love. I love you, I love you, I love you. And I, and I am one of those few fortunates that I can say, I can tell you for a certainty that there is a difference between loving someone and being in love with someone. And it's sure, yeah, everything from I've kissed this woman in the rain and not a single drop of rain hit us. I've been with this woman for hours and literally it felt like seconds passed. Um, I've been with her for like, you know, all these things where like, you can look at her and you can say, dude, you're stupid. She's ugly. But it's like, okay. But I was so in love with her. I see nothing but beauty that exists. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I wrote that book because of her, but every time, every time someone brings it up, dude, it's funny because I forget about it because yes, that's the best. Huh? I wish I could do that. I think that's the best. I wish I could do that, man. Like, because then you created something to create it and like all the love and everything went into it and not for the recognition of it. I think that's the best art, man. I, I honestly, like, I wish that I could just create music or like I could do stand up and never ever like have to feel like I have to do this. But do I'm doing it purely. But you have. What? Okay. What do you mean? I, well, I do it because, like, I'll tell you this, like, when I create stuff, dude, like, like you said, I'm not creating it for me. I'm doing it because I feel that, like, it needs to express, it's like, if we're the lens, then I feel like the observer on the other side of the lens is trying to push this out, and I'm somehow receiving it and trying to, like, mold it together for this observer so that way I can manifest it into physical being here on this plane and share it with others of the hive and if it taps into the same parts of where that came from then they're going to resonate like this kind of sonic resonance thing it's going to happen and it'll be drawn together um so i think that when i create or when i my output 
is a lot different than the input. And the input is something that I can't explain. It's uncontrollable and it's like this urge or like this kind of fiendiness to to take information, break it down, and then reassemble it in my own view and push it out as comedy or music. But what I think is ultimately happening is that it it needs to get out for itself, its sake, and I'm just kind of watching myself do it. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm like stuck in this prison of like being this artist where it's just like, I cannot go to sleep until I get these thoughts jotted down on paper or I I, I finish the, the chord progression to the song or whatever it is. Like I cannot rest until my brain's like, all right, that's enough for today. And then the minute my brain turns on the next day, it's like, project 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 like what am i doing what am i reading what am i looking into like it just go 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 and it's it's like this driving force that like it's like wi-fi dude i can't see it but i know i'm connected to it right you know it's just it's there and i'm just following that road man i'm following that bliss and like kind of it's like it's just revealing shit to me and i'm like okay you have accomplished though what you what you wanted to do and, and here's how so 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, your, your sets are going to change, right? And a hundred percent. I mean, in, in two months, right. six months, it'll so, be changed. So all these ideas that you've shared with us necessarily forget them, but they're going to become, become part of your psyche, your subconscious. Well, they're going to transform into something right. new, like a new right. energy. Like, right. Uh, so check this out. So at some point in your career, if you become what I know you're going to become, Someone's going to come up to you and say, hey, Raph, I, I've been following you for 15, 20 years. And when you first went up on set, you said this joke that you haven't said in a long time. Maybe it's no longer important to you. Maybe you forgot about it, whatever. But that's resonated with me my entire life. And it, it now I've become a better person for it. And in common, in common curiosity, you're going to be like, well, what story are you talking about? The gay one. And you're going to be, what the, what the oh, fuck? Yeah. But then you're going to realize, dude. And then they'll they'll spell it out to me and I'll be like, oh, that joke, dude, that was like, man, that was like right. when I was a baby right. in comedy. Right. Like, I didn't, you know, but, like, that was my you, shitty shit. Like, but to you, it, 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 it's, it's been so long ago, it became like just another memory. But to them, uh, so, 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 so when you okay. bring up my book, when you and Cody bring up my book, right. it's kind of like, dude, like that joke. What are you talking okay. about? But then you guys brought it up and I got excited because it's like, dude, yeah, that's right. I wrote a book. <laughs> so, dude, oh, fuck you, yeah. You no, okay, yeah. That makes you total sense. It. I like that rapper. Because I'm proof <laughs> of it. Your, your, your story, yeah. your, your, your story, believe it or not, it, it applies to me too, dude. Trust me. And, and although it hasn't, it hasn't changed me, it has made me closer to you. And that's important too. Hmm. And, because we now have a commonality there. Now you don't know my story yet, but does that really matter? Think about it. I mean, it. I mean, yeah, it does in the sense of like, I in the sense of like our sharing of our stories is kind of the most important thing that we can do because like that's the only value that we have is kind of our story and our effect on the people around us. So like, yeah, it does matter. But what I think is the real not mattering in it is the timing and the place of of when the story is appropriate like for me it just happened that that time uh, dude the way that that joke became a joke or like that story I, I decided to tell that story on stage is because 
I was having a pretty like you know we were having it was three of us outside of an open mic and we were having a pretty philosophical conversation about you know like what it is to experiment with sexuality kind of shit and dude I just I fucking just I was like oh dude I mean I have like this one little thing and I kind of just said it and they looked at me like dude how the fuck are you not talking about that and like to me it was just like that's just my life dude you know what I mean like that's just something I've known since I was since it happened and like to me that's just a normal thing and I never think about it of like how that is like whoa that's fucking whoa dude like you know it, it stops people in their tracks kind of thing and like that's what I kind of started to notice about my jokes is like circumcision that joke the joke where I'm like metaphorically killing off my grandpa because he told me that I wasn't a man in a dream like all these different things were like I kind of excuse me (coughs) these are like heavy topics and not easy to kind of get people on board with but there is this like for whatever reason man like i never understood why i made all those mistakes and i never understood why i was impulsively reacted to things in certain certain situations and i did the things that i did and it caused me a lot of anguish and turmoil while it was happening and the confusion of it all and yada 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 but now looking back man i laughed to myself you know, and especially in the not knowing of like the validity or the importance of those stories because it's so normalized to me. So I guess like that's the thing is like whenever you are ready or like whenever you find yourself in that situation, man, that story will naturally find its way out because it's relevant and it has purpose and meaning. And then once you see how people interpret that message or that story or whatever, then that's where like the change comes in you in the sense that you gave them a change is because like the. Like that, like I said, like the sonic resonance, man. Like you put out an energy, they took it in. They're like, holy shit! And they, the energy that they're giving back is like, whoa, that we've never seen this or we've never heard this. Like this is something cool and interesting or whatever the fuck it is. And then you go, whoa, all right, it is. And then you start to explore that more within yourself. And then you realize that there's things there that have been lying dormant that you didn't even realize until years later when you're examining it from an outside perspective, almost because it's no longer tangibly like the end of the world in that situation like it's so far removed that I can look back and analyze the person that I was the decisions that I made to understand them without being so involved in that scenario that I can't do right. it right I think that what you're what I'm saying is to, to the point is like this, you go you don't know my story yet and I'm like that it's not that that doesn't matter I think the story matters but the timing of it like I'm not planning on not being your friend at some point so it's like along the way at some point it'll naturally surface and it'll be the right time in the right place because that's when it your body's like this is the time and you'll find the words as you're doing it most of the jokes that i tell now and most of the improvements that i've made are from telling it over and over and over and at bars and to friends and just kind of moments of just being drunk or stoned where i just kind of throw in this word or i change it a little bit without even thinking about it just fucking around and then i find that's the way it works that made the most sense people really responded to that and then you just kind of incorporate all these little things until it becomes like like i said like i have a 20 minute set that is like it's like reading a fucking book like beginning to end it all connects like it all makes sense it all has a point and it also speaks volumes on who i am and that rapport that i'm trying to build with people and so yeah dude uh I'm not trying to rush through any of it. I think that a lot of people tell me like, oh, you should write a book. And I just keep telling them I'm not ready to write a book. So I'm only 26. Like, I'm just in the thick of it now. And I think that I need to go out and write the book and the actions that I take and to live my life. So that way I have something worth recording later. 
but I would like to have it from the perspective of later. I, I would like to be 40 something looking back at my 26 year old years, 27 year old years and being able to, from the wisdom of the years, analyze that better <laughs> and then write on that, you know, instead of writing it now when I'm 26 and a fucking idiot for the most part. An idiot in the sense of like, I don't have it all put together. I don't really know. And I don't know what the accumulation of all this is going to be. So until I have, I have the beginning, I have the middle, but I don't have like the end yet. So until I have a, sort of an ending, I'm not going to write a book. I'm not going to put it down like that. And I'm going to let things naturally surface. And I'm going to talk about the things that are, are telling me that need to be talked about and expressed through art. And then the things that aren't there yet, which I have a lot of stuff that I know is good material and will be good material, but I just haven't built enough rapport with people to be able to talk about that yet. I just know that inherently. Yeah. Um... And again, this goes back to where you as a storyteller, where the evolution will come into play. And as more and more people listen to your story, you'll be able to add more of these elements. And that's when it's funny because I just realized the word set could be changed from set to story to where to where now it's, yeah. it's you've already told a story, a series of stories about one point in your life. Now it's time to tell another set of stories about another point. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to get to the point where I can do an hour, you know what I mean? Or like an hour and 20 minutes and make that story like, like a fucking, you know, like a, you know, a movie is generally an hour and a half long, but if I can make it pretty much as entertaining as a movie and to a large audience, like six, 700 people at one time and be able to keep them along for that narrative. Like, I feel like that's so powerful, man, especially in a narrative driven society. Like I said, the oral traditions have defined our existence. Look at the year, it's 2020 because Jesus died 2020 years ago. You know, it's like, and that was a book that was passed down as an oral tradition because the dudes wrote it after the guy said that shit out of his mouth and died. So like, they didn't really document anything until after things were pretty much said and done. And so what I'm trying to get at is like, I think a lot of people deny the power. I think more people are, trying, are starting to see it again is like the power of a narrative or of a, of a mythology or an archetype or a character rather than the man. And I keep, this fucking saying keeps popping into my head. I'd rather be a voice in the clouds than just a man stuck on the ground. And I don't really know what that means yet, but I feel like through podcasting, through uploading music, through uploading comedy onto the internet, I'm kind of uploading into the veins of the hive mind or the consciousness of the entire group, um, this kind of thing, right? This like antidote or this kind of, what I feel is like a, the opposition of bullshit and, and, and dishonesty and, you know, unauthenticity and all these things and kind of trying to introduce a little counterbalance to it. Um, but ultimately, man, I do that for that sake. I don't do it necessarily for me. Like, I, I, I don't even, like I said, from now on, I kind of want to wear a mask on stage every time. I don't want to take the credit. I don't want a photograph of me out there. Like, I just want to do it for the sake of the art. In the same way that John Lennon had that protest in the 70s with Yoko Ono, and when they let in all the reporters, there was a sheet over them. And the reporters were like, dude, why are you covering yourself up? And he said, because it doesn't matter what we look like. You're going to come in here and talk about how our hair is long and we have beards and yada, yada, yada. Like, that's not important. The message is what's important. So we covered ourselves so that way you can't focus on anything else but the message. And I think that that's what I'm trying to create with lunacy and with otter and like this, this kind of fictitious uh, uh, midnight gospel. That new Netflix show is kind of a great way. Like Duncan Trussell took episodes of his podcast and created uh, this cartoon where his 
our avatar Clancy has a simulator and he goes and interviews people on different worlds about different topics. And like, so that way the topics are death and religion and spirituality and magic and all this shit. Where if it was like just his podcast clippings, people would go, this guy's a fucking nut. But since it's in a cartoon setting, people can take it a little bit more sincerely than seriously. And I think that in the age that we live in, people need the trifecta. They need an audio, visual, and a message all combined into one thing. So it's like if I can present them with audio, which is podcasting, comedy, music, a visual, which is like a character like, you know, the otter or like the lunacy tribe and then have an actual message to that, but not have it be about what I look like or that I'm Brazilian or that I'm this or that I'm that, or I live in California or I live in New York and make it really focused about what are we talking about here? And that's it, nothing else. Like the gorillas, we don't know what these guys fucking look like. Yeah, we love the music and the message. I do love the gorillas. <laughs> and these guys can walk around public. I said, no, I said, I do love the gorillas, but what happens? Like, what the hell they look like? <laughs> Yeah, that's genius. I think that's the right way to do it. It's just like, it's not about me, dog. It's about the message. It's about us. It's right. about and, the collective. And it's this is what I was saying, telling you earlier that, yes, I haven't shared my story with you. But from my perspective, the important part was that by you sharing yours, it connected me with you so that, yes, if I wanted to share that story, I'd have no problem sharing it with you that easily because I already bonded with you through that story. Um, and in fact, when you think about our group of friends, most of us bonded in that way because it's not like I went to high school with any of you. It's not like I went to college with any of you. It's not like I got in trouble with any of you. I mean, we've had like, you know, our, our, our evenings, but we've never done anything where like, you know, through that, through the through fighting for each other's backs or having each other's backs or through like, you know, a shared experience. Nah, it's, it's just all sharing our yeah, our, our camaraderie, our camaraderie, and our, our sense of bond was really formed on an intellectual and a very uh, yeah communication basis. Like we got together at one spot on the planet once a week together, and just had beers and just kind of observed what was going on and talked about what was going on in our lives that week or like whatever bullshit was floating across our minds. Which is that's what I think the the beauty of bars, man. Like the the beauty of like this everyone's going to get away from their own bullshit and escape into other bullshit and the best bullshit comes out of that <laughs> that's like art you know like yeah i don't want to think about donald trump i'm gonna go play my guitar for three hours and write a song and like out of that you know like oh this is bullshit i'm gonna do this other thing even though it's kind of like you said meaningless at the time of like the creation of it it could be something super valuable later on and have a lot of purpose and it was created out of bullshit you know so like negative positive these are all like you said perspectives through the lens and kind of how you look at it and what you choose to focus on is kind of how you what you're going to get from it so yeah maybe the issue with americans isn't the fact that they can't think or they can't rationally do this it's just because they're so focused on their anger maybe they're just so focused on the hate and the injustice that they can't also look around and see the beauty and the the, the poetic justice of things and the irony of things and how like things kind of like work themselves out yeah. <laughs> sometimes you know and at the end of the day that's that's kind of like oh. John hello John
There we go. Yeah, I, yeah. It's weird for whatever reason. It anchor doesn't automatically open for your chat. I don't know, but we're good. For sure. Uh, yeah, man. We got a fucking solid hour and a half, and uh, kind of want to wrap it up. I got some other stuff I got to take care of. But if you, dude, please plug your book. I mean, if anyone's listening, they might as well check it out. What's the name of it? It's called Decade of Poetry. Uh, it's by me, John Chavez, and they can find it on Amazon. I think it's 11 bucks now, so they lowered the price a bit. It used to be 16 Sick. Uh, also, I always do this for anyone who's been on the podcast. Uh, this is how we kind of like, you know, uh, close it out. If there's anything that you could say or wanted to say to anyone who might be listening to this in the entire world, what would you want to say to those people? Be open-minded. Don't hate people for their truth because you wouldn't want them to hate you for your truth. We're all individuals. We all have thoughts, feelings, beliefs that are predicated on many different levels based on many different experiences, years of life, etc. And the best way for us to grow together as a people is just listen. It doesn't cost anything to listen. Beautifully put, man. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, so this has been another episode of the Eclecticast, uh, Lunacy Tribe Productions. You can follow Lunacy on Instagram and Tumblr. Uh, a lot of people are like, why the fuck do you have a Tumblr? Because uh, you can actually write long-form ideas. So if you want to submit a theory or any kind of idea whatsoever or continue anything that you've heard on the podcast further, uh, Tumblr is a great place to do so because you can write as many characters as you want and there's no limit. So we can really hash out our ideas. So Tumblr and Instagram, uh, Lunacy Tribe, all one word. Lunacy spell L-U-N-A-S-E-E for the people who are only listening and not seeing any of the stuff on their screen. Uh, we have a SoundCloud with free music that you can download that we've created. Um, it's uh, www.soundcloud.com slash electric stamp club. And all the tracks up there are free to download. So have at it if you are interested. Um, yeah, don't be a dick. Be safe out there. Fucking take care of your neighbors and yourselves. Uh, that, that's all I got to say. Anything else, John? That's it. That's it. All right, man. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been fucking a real hoot. Uh, I appreciate you. And I was telling Cody, we got to all get together once these bars open and have a drink together like old times. Yeah, actually, Dino's is already open, man. <laughs> really? We yeah. should, uh, Thursday's, yeah. Thursday's my day off. We should congregate there. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. I'll, I will be in contact with you, sir. I, I got to get off now, though. But uh, I love you, and I'll talk to you soon, okay? Wait too, man. Take care of yourself. All right. You too. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.